Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W.com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Councillor Malcolm Cunning. Budget meeting will not be good for Glasgow. An article published in the Glasgow Times of the 4th of February 2021. In two weeks' time, Glasgow councillors will gather in front of their computer screens to take part in what is the most important council meeting of the year. This will be the first and hopefully last time that our annual budget setting meeting will be heard virtually rather than in person. Councillors must agree two things. Firstly, what the level of council tax will be for the coming year, and secondly, the amount of money that will be available for all the services and facilities run by the council. I am not looking forward to our debate on February the 18th, because whatever decisions we make, I can guarantee they will not be good for Glasgow. Holyrood has been cutting our funding consistently and unremittingly for the last decade. Since 2013, Glasgow has been forced to find savings of nearly £350 million as a result of decisions made in Edinburgh by a government that does not appear to care about Glasgow. I appreciate that the Scottish Government itself has faced financial pressures and funding from Westminster has reduced, but cuts to local government have been running at roughly four times the level of any cut that Holyrood has had to deal with. Edinburgh has set other priorities and the state of the streets in Govanhill, bin collections in Drumchapel or social services in Billiston are not among them. What is even more disappointing is that the current administration here in Glasgow seem happy to go along with all this. Instead of standing up for Glasgow, they meekly accept the diktats of their Edinburgh bosses while the people of Glasgow pay the price. Despite Covid, Brexit and the consequent threat of a long-term economic downturn, nothing must derail the headlong charge towards another referendum which only the seriously deluded actually believe will happen any time soon. The Scottish budget last week was the usual exercise in smoke and mirrors. If you were to accept the word of Kate Forbes, the finance minister, you might be left with the impression that we were about to get all sorts of new money. Nothing could be further from the truth. Come budget day here in Glasgow, we will still have to find some £30 million in cuts for next year alone, as well as deal with the tens of millions in lost income and extra costs because of the pandemic. £7 million of what should be our share of funding will be held back and only be made available if we agree not to increase council tax. For a government that keeps harping on about freedom, 
They are not very good at allowing Glasgow the freedom to make our own decisions. The government restrictions on other significant pots of money further restricts councillors' ability to make independent decisions here in Glasgow that best reflect the needs of the city. Labour councillors have been grappling with the numbers and the horrendous realities of further cuts to our city since well before Christmas, trying to put our budget proposals together to produce something that is in any way palatable is impossible. It is an exercise in attempting to identify the least worst options. Our priorities will be protecting frontline services as best as possible. That gets harder every year. Whatever budget we agree, I am telling you now, there will be no good news for Glasgow. Article from the Glasgow Times, Thursday 4th of February 2021, News. Ewan McGregor thrilled by Star Wars TV show role. By Hamish Morrison, trainee reporter. Ewan McGregor said he is thrilled to get another shot at playing Jedi Master Only One Kenobi in a new Star Wars spin-off series. The Scots actor was first cast as the young Obi-Wan in 1999's Star Wars The Phantom Menace, but he is set to reprise the role in a live-action series for Disney+, Plus, set between the end of the prequel and the start of the original trilogy. There is currently no release date for the series, but McGregor, 49, recently revealed it's being shot in LA, not England, as was rumoured at one point. Speaking to comedian Eddie Izzard, the Trainspotting star said, filming on the standalone Obi-Wan Kenobi series will start in a few months. McGregor said, we'll start making it in the late spring and I think we're going to be shooting it here in LA. My dad was sending me links saying, I thought you were shooting it in LA because there's another tabloid expose that we're shooting it in some bizarre town somewhere. Then we're meant to be making it in Boston. Then we're meant to be making it... No, it wasn't Boston. It was Boston, England. But we're not. We're shooting it in LA. There you have it, folks. McGregor said it would be great to play the iconic Jedi Master once more after his last portrayal in Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, 2005. The actor also made voice appearances in Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. He said, it'll be just great to do it again. I did my last one in 2003, and it's such a long time ago. The idea of doing it again now is just more exciting even than it was then, I think. I'm just thrilled to get the chance to play him again. I've always felt there was a story about him between my ones and original Obi-Wan actor Alec Guinness's ones, and that's what we're going to do. Article from the Glasgow Times, Thursday, 4th of February, 2021. News. Paisley, nurse, wife of first cop to die from COVID, leading vaccine drive. By Hamish Morrison, trainee reporter. The widow of the first Scottish cop to die from COVID is now helping others survive the deadly bug. Mariah Hewitt's husband of 17 years, John, passed away in June 2020 after catching coronavirus. I don't want to see any other families go through what I did, losing my best friend. I would not want anyone to suffer such pain, sadness and grief that I have to endure since losing my husband, Mariah said. 
A bank nurse with NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, Mariah is now responsible for getting people their vital immunisations to protect them from COVID. The memory of her husband has got her through tough times working in COVID wards too, she said. I want to keep giving back to honour John's memory. He was always trying to help others. That's the kind of person he was. He was a humble, caring and decent man who would always encourage me to help others as he did. It's been emotional doing the vaccinations, as on reflection I carry the burden of losing John before this vaccination programme became available to the public. Everyone I have vaccinated is beyond grateful and kind to be receiving the vaccine. This reminds me of John, his caring and giving personality, always putting others and myself before himself. Maria and her daughter Neve, 23, also caught the virus in May 2020. By doing the vaccinations, I am helping in a very small but important way in reducing the transmission of this virus, the hospitalisations and the number of deaths, she added. Losing John was overwhelmingly heartbreaking, and due to the visiting policies and restrictions, I was never able to see John conscious again. I was only ever able to do planned near-me calls that had been set up by the hospital for patients in ICU. This in itself is very traumatic. Seeing John's health deteriorate without the comfort of myself was one of the cruelest things I have ever endured. On the near-me calls, my daughter Neve joined me for most of them for support and to talk to John and reassure him. This was a hard and painful experience for me and my daughter and something we will never truly get over. Maria, alongside over 1,100 vaccinators, is working across the health board, vaccinating the population against COVID-19. Linda de Castica, the Director of Public Health at NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, said, We are incredibly grateful to Maria for joining our COVID-19 vaccination efforts. Our sympathies are with her for the loss of her husband and extend to every person who has lost a loved one to COVID-19. Our team of COVID-19 vaccinators is providing hope for us all. They have been working incredibly hard to make sure our population is protected against this deadly virus. Our thanks go out to the team and for everyone who takes up the opportunity to be vaccinated. We encourage everyone to do so. Unsurprisingly, his visit was met with derision and criticism from those across the SNP. From the First Minister downwards, they couldn't resist trying to stir up grievance over his visit, even though essential work is an allowed reason for travel. Their official Twitter account pandered to our supporters with a message about staying at home. It is draining and absolutely tiresome that they feel the need to always stir up their supporters and say the Prime Minister isn't welcome in Scotland. Of course he is. But be under no illusions, the SNP have been at it for years, from Theresa May to David Cameron, and even now they have a go at former Labour Prime Minister Gordon Brown for daring to stand against their divisive agenda. The truth is there are clear exemptions in the guidelines for work-related purposes. Indeed, that is presumably why the SNP's Glasgow Council leader, Susan Aiken, visited a vaccination hub in Drumchapel under the same lockdown rules less than a fortnight ago. 
Presumably, that is also why Nicola Sturgeon herself, under Level 3 restrictions that advised against non-essential travel, arranged a photo op in an Edinburgh hospital at the beginning of the vaccine rollout. While I have questioned Susan Aiken's definition of work in the past, remembering that Paul Simon concert she put through on her council expenses, I would not begrudge her or Nicola Sturgeon the right to do their job and oversee the progression of the vaccination programme here in Glasgow. It is the height of hypocrisy, though, for them to whip up their supporters in a nationalist rage against Boris Johnson, some of whom went so far as to report the Prime Minister to the police. Although a political opponent, even Labour's leader Keir Starmer, acknowledged Boris Johnson's right to travel across the United Kingdom in the national interest as part of our battle against coronavirus. It was curious, therefore, to see Scottish Labour MSP Neil Findlay play into the nationalist hands by publicly disagreeing with his boss. We expect this sort of rhetoric from SNP politicians any time the Prime Minister travels to Scotland, but for a Scottish Labour MSP to position themselves in direct contradiction to the UK party's leadership and instead ally themselves with those that wish to see the destruction of the United Kingdom really says it all about how far they have fallen in standing up to support our United Kingdom. I fully accept many people reading this and living in the city will dislike Boris Johnson. You may see him as an inarticulate buffoon or incompetent or both these things. Such views are perfectly fine for people to express in our democracy. But let's be real. If the Prime Minister visits Scotland, then the SNP will always say he is not welcome, even if travel restrictions aren't in place. On the other hand, if he doesn't come to Scotland, they will complain that he doesn't care about our communities here. While the nationalist grievance machine attempts to create an other out of our fellow British citizens, the Prime Minister will be focusing on uniting this nation and building back better after this pandemic is behind us. Like or loathe the individual, the office of the Prime Minister is welcome in all parts of our United Kingdom. Article from the Glasgow Times, Thursday 4th of February 2021. News. Taylor Thompson carried out two attacks on Jamaica Street and Union Street at the Four Corners. Exclusive by Katrina Stewart, columnist and reporter. A teenager who carried out two violent attacks at Glasgow's notorious Four Corners has been spared jail. Glasgow Sheriff Court heard that Taylor Thompson was caught on CCTV on two occasions, several months apart, attacking other young men. He had, the court was told, been in the habit of hanging around and drinking too much at the city centre trouble spot. In the first incident, Prosecutor Amy Doran told the court, the 19-year-old was captured on camera on February 8, 2019, attacking an unknown man. Video footage showed Thompson of Balanac chasing the man along Union Street in Glasgow city centre with other people. He caused the man to fall to the ground, 
where he was repeatedly kicked and punched on the head and body. Ms Doran added, The police arrived and carried out a search of both parties involved. In a second incident, on November 15th, 2019, Thompson was caught on CCTV again assaulting another male victim. They were among a number of young people outside the branch of McDonald's on Jamaica Street. A fight broke out and Thompson punched and kicked his victim on his head and body. The teenager's defence lawyer told the court both offences took place in 2019. He was hanging around the town centre, drinking too much and getting into bother. He has since settled down and is in a long-term relationship. Sheriff Alan Findlay sentenced Thompson to a community payback order that will place him under supervision for one year. The teenager must carry out 50 hours of unpaid work for the first offence and 90 hours of unpaid work for the second offence. These will run consecutively. You're listening to the Glasgow Times as published on Friday the 5th of February. News. Covid Scotland. Inside Glasgow's Vaccination Centre. Exclusive by Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. They come in excited that the jag they are about to get represents the best chance for us all to get our lives back. Sitting in the Games Hall in the Glasgow Club Leisure Centre in Easter House is a moment these men and women and their families have waited for almost a year to happen. They leave with a sense of relief and hope. Set up by the council with the help of the army and run by NHS immunisation nurses, the centre is in the front line in the effort to protect us all from COVID-19. The Glasgow Times has allowed access to the centre to speak to the staff and those getting the vaccine. The women and men in their 70s from the east of the city were relieved and delighted that at last a vaccination was available and was now inside them. Josephine Jasnoz, 72, from Shettleston, said, It's fantastic. I can't wait to get the second dose. Everything worked well. I signed in, came through to the hall and was shown to a vacant table to get the JAG. They asked me four questions about my health, then I got the JAG. She hoped that life can soon begin to get back to normal. She said, I'm glad things are moving on. My husband George is shielding, so I've only been outside to do the shopping in the last year. We have a grandson and a granddaughter, but we've only seen our family in the garden at Christmas. The people wait for around 15 to 20 minutes after the jag before they leave to go home. Margaret Lang, 74, from Shettleston, is a knitter and crafter and has been sewing masks to send to her family and has only been outside to go to the shops once a week. She said, This is a good setup. It's well organised. It's a good system. People have to get the jag. The more people get it, the better. Husband and wife, Elizabeth and Billy McGee, arrived together for their appointments and they left happy. Elizabeth, 72, explained their situation, which people all over the country will recognise. She said, I'm excited now I have had it. My grandson phoned this morning to say good luck. The family are excited about this. They haven't been able to come into the house and have been leaving shopping at the door for us. Billy, 73, said, I'm happy to have the jag. I've not been out for months, except to the doctors. Our daughters get the messages for us. Christopher Kavanagh, 71, from Shettleston, had a no-nonsense message for anyone spreading misinformation about the vaccine or who were encouraging people not to take it. He said, I think it is great. Nobody should not be getting it. As well as helping yourself, you are helping everybody else. Anyone who puts out any propaganda for people not to get the vaccine are... Leap. 
We are saving ourselves and other people. Hopefully this is getting better. We'll see what happens. Straight-talking Mr Kavanagh also had praise for the staff. He said, It was so easy. The staff are so professional. I can't fault any of it. You've been listening to It's Fantastic. I Can't Wait for the Second Dose inside Glasgow's Vaccination Centre. You're listening to the Glasgow Times as published on Friday the 5th of February 2021. News. Glasgow weather. Snow and ice to hit Glasgow by Ruth Souter, multimedia journalist. Snow and ice is forecasted to hit Glasgow this weekend. A yellow weather warning has been put in place from Saturday through to Monday as sub-zero temperatures are to stretch across the city. The Met Office is urging residents to be cautious of blankets of ice on untreated roads and surfaces, warning of potential injuries or casualties. Commuters and motorists should also prepare for travel delays. The warning will remain in place from midday tomorrow until midnight on Monday evening. You're listening to the Glasgow Times as published on Friday the 5th of February 2021. News. Outcry as SNP ministers withdraw Covid support from Scottish Press by Tom Gordon, Scottish political editor. SNP ministers have been accused of undermining their own public health messaging drive on Covid by withdrawing business rates relief from struggling newspapers. The current 100% relief for the retail, hospitality, leisure and aviation sectors is due to be extended for at least three months from April at a cost of £185 million. But when Finance Secretary Kate Forbes announced the move in the draft Scottish budget for 2021-22 last week, she left out newspapers, which are also covered at present. Ms Forbes, who was forced by opposition parties to include newspapers in the first place, last night confirmed she was against extending the relief past March, but said that if other parties wish to make changes to the budget, then I am willing to consider proposals to, to secure its passage. The government and the other Hollywood parties are due to hold talks on the draft budget before it goes to a final vote on March the 9th. Giving the rates relief to newspapers for another three months would cost just over £1 million. The government was forced to extend full rates relief to newspapers last May when MSPs amended the Coronavirus Scotland No. 2 bill as it went through Parliament. The opposition said newspapers were a vital source of information in the pandemic and needed support to keep going after lockdown caused a sharp fall in advertising revenue. The government opposed the move, saying it was already giving the industry some million, £3 million in increased advertising as a result of Covid. However, the Tory proposal passed with 41 votes to 38, with only the SNP against, and premises for the production of newspapers and related news platforms were granted 100% rates relief for the year to 31st March 2021. Ministers are now dangling a carrot of more cash after a working group on supporting public interest journalism reports this summer. However, opposition parties said that immediate concrete help was required, not long-term aspirations. Scottish Tory economy spokesman Maurice Golden said, Newspapers were rightly regarded as a key industry during the pandemic last year. However, the SNP failed to properly support them then and are shockingly prepared to let them down again. The Scottish Conservatives have called for business rates relief to be extended for up to a year and at the very least newspapers shouldn't be hit in the pocket for the first three months as the SNP have outlined. 
If the SNP opposed this extension, it would be another slap in the face to our newspaper industry. As people continue to look for vital information on the pandemic, we should be supporting trusted news sources more than ever. Scottish Greens co-leader Patrick Harvey, whose party has had the most impact in budgets talks through this parliament, said... Quality journalism is a vital part of stopping misinformation and holding government to account, and this is more important now than ever. As always, we will defend the ability of the press to operate. If the working group isn't due to report till summer, it does seem unfair that every other sector will be supported at least till then, with the exception of the newspaper industry. Interim Scottish Labour leader Jackie Bailey added... It is simply unacceptable for the SNP to consider cutting business relief for our embattled newspaper sector. The vital role that newspapers play in keeping people informed and connected has only been underlined by the pandemic. It's time for the SNP to think again about cutting support for newspapers at the centre of communities across Scotland. Scottish Liberal Democrat leader Willie Rennie said, Newspapers have been rightly recognised as a key source of information for the public throughout this pandemic, but it took the efforts of opposition parties to ensure that they were eligible for the same rates relief support as the retail, hospitality and leisure industry received. A thriving press is vital to any democracy. Scottish Liberal Democrats will oppose any efforts by the Scottish Government to cut support to the media industry at a time when the public need the truth more than ever. John McClellan, director of the Scottish Newspaper Society, said It is very disappointing, to say the least, that the Scottish Government is singling out news publishing for the withdrawal of emergency business rates relief, a vital financial support agreed by the Scottish Parliament, when the pandemic is far from over. This is in sharp contrast with the Northern Ireland Government, which has just extended rates relief for its news publishers. Further, the Scottish Government has not renewed its commitment to invest in news publishing to communicate important public information about its pandemic response and its vaccine rollout at a time when private sector advertising in Scotland has collapsed because of lockdown. There is no doubt this creates an immediate crisis for Scottish journalism and if these decisions are not reconsidered, it could leave Scotland as one of the few, if not the only, democratic European nations to effectively abandon independent news publishing. A government spokesperson said, The Scottish Government has invested £3 million in the Scottish newspaper industry through increased advertising over the course of the pandemic. We continue to value high-quality journalism and have established a short-life working group to consider how to support public interest journalism. It is expected to make recommendations at the end of the summer. Details of the rates relief package for next year were announced in the Scottish Budget 2021-22. If other parties wish to make changes, then we are willing to consider proposals to secure passage of the budget. You've been listening to Outcry as SNP ministers withdraw COVID support from Scottish press. You're listening to the Glasgow Times as published on Friday the 5th of February. News. Starbucks Deniston. Proposals to develop drive through Glasgow Starbucks to be approved by Catherine Hunter, local democracy reporter. Controversial proposals to develop a drive through coffee shop in Deniston are expected to be approved early next week. Plans for the Starbucks at 232 Alexandra Parade were previously withdrawn because of parking concerns and the number of vehicles entering the site on a busy road. 
The applicant, Motor Fuel Group, says the new submission has changed the layout and reduced the number of planned parking spots to six, including three blue badge spaces. It comes following 13 objections from the local community and politicians who believe the plans are unacceptable due to climate emergency declared by the council. Objectors are also concerned about increased noise, traffic pollution, increased littering and public safety risks. The drive-through, which will also share the site of an existing 24-hour petrol station, would have a negative impact on the surrounding conservation area. But developers say the aim is to make a positive contribution to the local area by creating direct and indirect job opportunities during the construction phase and then through the operation of Starbucks, where up to 20 new jobs would be created. A decision will be made on Tuesday. You've been listening to proposals to develop drive-through Denison Starbucks to be approved. From the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 8th of February 2021, from the news section. Ask Janice, Celtic woes are affecting my sex life. How do I get my husband back on side? By Janice Bell. Dear Janice, Since Celtic's recent downturn in her fortunes, my husband has been in a dreadful mood. He's never violent or abusive, and is a wonderful man, but it's affecting every area of our lives together. The recent Dubai debacle put him off his dinner for about two weeks. Every time we talk, it's we need to get Lennon out, and so on. He's been so embarrassed to be a Hoops fan since it all went to pot for them, it's even affected our time in the bedroom. Short of booting Lennon out and taking over the club myself to get it back in the nine-in-a-row glory days and the golden years of our relationship, how do I get him back? AM Dear Hoops Widow, many light readers will resonate with your issues. Being an avid football fan promotes feelings of who who to unconditionally love and who to eternally despise. It permeates feelings of pride, passion, euphoria and a sense of belonging and identity. This is all very positive so long as it's a win-win situation. But when disaster strikes, and for him this is a disaster, then bipolar reactions kick in and irrational feelings and turbulent emotions are often the order of the day. Putting Lenin out is out with your control, AM. So let's think of other ways to lift your man's mood and get his mojo back in the sack. No point in trying to avoid the C word, so perhaps set him in a lockdown project to create a hoop scene bar at home with Celtic legends, posted on memorabilia. He can have nights of reruns of old games when they were on a winning streak and he was in his happy place. Hope for a better future is key, so freshen up his favourite hoop stop and reassure him that just like the COVID pandemic, his team's recent downturn will end one day. Dear Janice, my husband has been gambling for the last few years and he always promised me he has stopped. However, I was gutted to discover that he gambled again and lost a substantial amount of our money. No matter how I try and control this, he still manages to place another bet. What else can I do? Nicola. Dear Nicola, 
Firstly, it is crucial that you can take control of the situation and start by protecting your finances. Giving him access to cash is like giving an alcoholic a bottle of vodka and asking them not to drink it. It's unfair on you and it's unfair on him. Secure all forms of cash and give him weekly amounts. This might seem harsh, but gamblers will bet to the last penny in their pocket and they're surefire win time after time. I'm sure you've been through his initial denial about the serious addiction and then had to deal with the promises that he can stop at any time. But these are key signs of most addicts and only lead to a more complex web of lies to cover their tracks. He will no doubt ask you for money for things you hadn't even considered, but you can bet, excuse the pun, where the cash is really going. Remember, you will have lost control of the thing he needs most, so please seek professional help for him, but also for yourself, as these situations often lead to explosive arguments and fallouts. You don't have to do this alone. Groups who will be able to help your situation include Gambles Anonymous Scotland, which is a 24-hour hotline on 0370-050-881 and the website at https slash gasscotland.org Good luck. Dear Janice, when we went into lockdown again in December, my girlfriend moved in with me. All is great, except I'm allergic to her dog. I'm built buying antihistamine online just to keep things at bay, but the mutt is still affecting me in more ways than one. On top of everything, she expected to let it sleep in my bed with us. It's an old dog and secretly I'm playing it pops at clogs soon, but how do I handle this in the meantime? John. Dear John, supposing your wish came true and her beloved pet queued over tomorrow, chances are she'd want to replace it with another and you'd be back to square one. So let's get practical. If it isn't obvious to your girlfriend how miserable this is making you feel, then you need to have an honest chat and tell her that, although you love her being there, her accessory is literally getting right up your nose. Put in place a strict cleaning regime before the dander can build up. Wipe down all hard surfaces, vacuum all floors, steam clean carpets and upholstery, and launder all bedding. Exhausted so far? Well, there's more. Bathe her pooch at least once a week and in between, wipe it down with a wet cloth or baby wipes. And remember, avoid rubbing your eyes at all times. Children will sometimes outgrow pet allergies, but as an adult, it's a slim chance you'll become accustomed to it. Therefore, action needs to be taken. And as for sleeping in your bed, well, if your girlfriend won't compromise on this, it might be taking time to consider them both moving back to where they came from. And that article was by Janice Bell. From the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 8th of February 2021, from the news section. Glasgow figures back Sunny Govan radio fundraising campaign. Exclusive by Hamish Morrison. Community figures have backed a campaign to save a much-loved radio station threatened with closure because of a massive deficit. Donations have flooded into a fundraiser dedicated to plugging a £30,000 hole in Sunny Govan Radio's bank account. As we reported last month, the station has been devastated by the pandemic 
And listeners have backed the campaign to keep it on the airwaves. Annie Wales, the Conservative MSP for Glasgow, is the latest figure to voice support for the Southside Community Station. She said, Sunny Govan Radio is at the heart of the community and has provided consistently excellent broadcasts for over two decades. Like so many industries and organisations, they have been devastated by the pandemic. I am delighted to support this critical fundraising effort and would encourage people across the city and beyond to do so as well. The efforts by volunteers to broadcast Sunny Govan Radio all year round showcases the very best of the spirit the people of Glasgow have in abundance and it would be incredibly sad if they could continue. Times are tough, but if you can spare anything at all, I hope you can donate to the fundraising efforts to save this much loved radio station. When we first revealed the dire state of the station's finance, the pot to keep it open had received £1,690 from generous donors. That has now swelled to £9,015. Darren McGarvey, the Glasgow-born rapper and author, described the station as a gem of an institution. He added, Sonny Govan don't just broadcast amazing radio, presented by local people and featuring local artists. They're a cornerstone of what is arguably Scotland's most historically significant working-class community. It also offers an open door, drop-in environment for people looking for something to do. Some of my radio appearances were guest slots I was given as a young artist. The SNP councillor Mary Hunter also urged fellow Glaswegians to dig deep to support the station. She said, Sunny Govan Radio is an absolute institution. It would be awful if it was lost. And that piece was an exclusive by Hamish Morrison. From the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 8th of February 2021, from the news section, Greenfinger Grant for Eastern Bartonshire Youngsters, by Lauren Gilmore, Facebook Community Reporter. Greenfinger Youngsters across Eastern Bartonshire will soon be able to grow food and plants thanks to a generous award from the Scottish Government. Schools from Bearsden, Bishop Biggs, Mulgai and Kirkintilloch have benefited from over £38,000 in funding from the Government's Community Climate Asset Fund, CCAF. The cash will go towards food and plant growing equipment such as greenhouses, planters, tools, seeds and soil. Joint Leader of the Council, Councillor Andrew Polston, said Growing food is a great way to teach children about reducing waste and carbon emissions and it's an opportunity for the very youngest people in Eastern Bartonshire to play a part in tackling climate change in our communities. Joint Leader of the Council, Councillor Vaughan Moody, added There is no better way for children to learn than through the hands-on experience and this CCEA funding will provide the recipient schools and the early years centre with all the equipment required to grow their own food. I'm sure planting will quickly get underway when the schools and early years centre reopen to all children. I'm looking forward to seeing all the delicious fruit and veg the children produce. And that piece is by Lauren Gilmore. From the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 8th of February 2021, from the news section. Women found injured and elderly as police launch probe by Hamish Morrison. 
A woman was left with a serious facial injury after an incident in the early hours of Sunday morning. Police were called to the report of a disturbance and found a woman in Lowland Gardens, elderly, seriously hurt. The 27-year-old was taken to the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Paisley for treatment and has since been discharged. Officers are investigating the incident, but it is not yet known how she came to be harmed. A spokesman for the force said, Around 5 past 2am on Sunday, February 7th, 2021, police were called to the disturbance in Lowman Gardens, Eldersley, in which a 27-year-old woman sustained a serious facial injury. She was treated at the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Paisley and has since been discharged. Inquiries into the incident are ongoing. And that article is by Hamish Morrison. From the Glasgow Times, it's Monday the 8th of February 2021, from the news section. Yellow weather warning for snow in Glasgow extended by Lauren Brownlee. Snow is expected to fall across Glasgow over the next couple of days. A yellow weather warning has been extended until Wednesday night. An update was issued by the Met Office. They said... Warning extended to end of Wednesday, with the ice dropped in favour of snow being the primary hazard. Some icy stretches are possible overnight, mainly where melting snow during the afternoon has not had a chance to dry out before freezing overnight, although snow is likely to be the most prevalent. And that piece was like Lauren Brownlee. Mike Daly Beware dangers of buy now, pay later schemes. An article published in the Glasgow Times of the 8th of February 2021. 20 years ago, I presented a BBC Radio Scotland series called Buy Now, Pay Later. The premise of the show was to understand why so many of us now used credit to satisfy our need to buy consumer goods. Traditionally, we would wait and save the money to buy a dream holiday, car or must-have fashion item. Then came a cultural and behavioural shift in society. Retailers working with advertising agencies and credit providers told us we no longer had to wait to buy something. It could be ours today on credit. Pay it back in the future with manageable instalments. The wisdom of grandparents warning us never a borrower or lender be was jettisoned by new generations. The saying comes from Shakespeare's Hamlet when Polonius gives sage advice to his son. For the BBC show, they had me accompany young people shopping for ridiculously priced glitzy designer gear in high street stores. Of course, there was an unhappy ending to that story for some. I did a covert interview with a debt collection firm whose unique selling point to creditors was to send two six-foot-six skinheads to a debtor's home following a credit default. It was the ugly side of a massive market. Today, UK households owe £250 billion in unsecured consumer credit debt. The good news is there have been major advances in the regulation of these issues 
and credit generally over the past two decades, with much stronger protection for borrowers. But nature abhors a vacuum and businesses will always find innovative ways to sell you stuff you think you need. The big growth area since last year has been the unregulated buy now, pay later BNPL market. Typically, these are products that allow you to buy goods from a shop instantly while the cost is spread over a number of instalments, interest free. Leading providers of BNPL include Clearpay, Klarna, Laybuy, OpenPay and PayPal. Last week, the UK financial regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, published its review of the unsecured credit market. It's calling for BNPL to be brought under the scope of its rules to provide consumer protection for debtors. At present, these new forms of credit are exempt from financial rules and consumer protection. The use of BNPL products almost quadrupled in 2020 and is now at £2.7 billion, with 5 million people using BNPL interest-free loans since the beginning of the pandemic. The FCA found more than 1 in 10 customers of a major bank using BNPL were already in arrears. The growth of BNPL was boosted by the fact most of us have had to stay at home during COVID-19. Since lockdown, more retailers have focused on online sales that offer a one-click, seamless customer journey to buy goods on a BNPL basis. The FCA's review revealed 25% of BNPL users were aged 18 to 24, and 50% were aged 25 to 36, 75% of all users were female, and 90% of transactions involved fashion and footwear. Credit has become an essential tool for most people. The FCA undertook consumer research as part of its review of BNPL, and for many people, accessing a short-term interest-free loan was a good thing. One person said, it's ideal for the emergency purchases where you don't have the money now. BNPL represents a handy way to spread the cost of a purchase over a few months with no extra cost. Yet, with the positives come a host of worrying negatives. Some customers told the FCA's researchers, I felt a buzz, I could buy so much stuff, but I needed to be careful, my impulsiveness could be my downfall. Another said, if I'm at my limit with Klarna, I'll look and see if the shop offers another type. Most consumers don't see BNPL as credit because it looks like a debit payment. Being offered a £150 product at zero cost with nothing to pay until next month when you will commence three monthly payments of £50 is more enticing than having to fork out £150 there and then. BNPL is the holy grail for impulse sales and that can be the highway to very serious debt and grief. Most BNPL require a soft credit check, which doesn't impact on credit scores, 
or no check at all. Because these products aren't regulated, there's no right to complain to the Financial Ombudsman Service, which comes as a surprise to most consumers. The lack of consumer protection with BNPL is a lacuna in the law. They have slipped through the net by using an old exemption never intended for them. The FCA has asked the UK government to empower them to fix this. Action is needed urgently to ensure people aren't exposed to unnecessary financial detriment during the pandemic. Article from the Glasgow Times, Tuesday 9th of February 2021, News. Coronavirus Scotland. Thousands back calls to allow designated visitors into care homes. By Jack Hoch, multimedia reporter. Thousands of people have backed calls to allow designated visitors into care homes. Pressure is mounting on the Scottish Government to relax regulations after steps were taken to introduce a similar move in England. Campaigners have called on MSPs to share their support and a petition which asks for an essential caregivers law to be introduced has already gained more than 90,000 signatures. The appeal will be considered in Holyrood tomorrow. Cathy Russell, co-founder of Care Home Relative Scotland, the group leading the fight, said, When the lockdown was announced in March 2020, there were shortages of personal protective equipment, PPE, and other supplies, and everyone understood the need for relatives to be kept out, no matter how painful it was. But we are almost a year on now. We have PPE, testing, And now most residents have had the first vaccine, and it is now time to reunite us with those who have survived the last year. Thousands have died without the company and touch of their loved ones in their final weeks and months. Campaigners have now called on First Minister Nicola Sturgeon to meet with activists to hear their concerns. Cathy, whose mum Rose Hamilton lives in a West End care home, added, We are simply desperate to move on and let people see their loved ones who have waited so long. In an open letter to both Miss Sturgeon and Miss Freeman, six members of the group, Cathy included, wrote on behalf of their relatives. You have both stated in public that over 98% of care home residents have been vaccinated and the majority have had three weeks or more now to build up their immunity, putting Scotland ahead of the four UK nations. We ask that you lead by example and make it clear to everyone concerned that meaningful contact for those who have survived this far must restart as a matter of urgency. The group's petition, started by member Natasha Hamilton, will be considered by MSPs on the Petitions Committee tomorrow. It is calling for Anne's Law to be introduced. Inspired by the plight of 63-year-old dementia sufferer Anne Duke, Natasha's mum, to allow for one designated visitor per care home resident. In England, legislation has been drawn up to give essential caregivers unfettered access to their loved ones. Glasgow MSP Anna Sarwa said, This has been an incredibly difficult time for care home residents and their loved ones. Scottish Labour supports the introduction of Anne's Law to end the heartache faced by too many families who are separated. While we challenge the ongoing public health crisis, we must not lose sight of the impact that isolation has taken on people's well-being, and that is something we need to address for the future. 
A Scottish government spokesman said, We understand the severe impact this pandemic has had on people's lives across Scotland and the distress it has caused for people living in care homes and their loved ones. We are acutely aware of the importance of visits for the well-being of residents and their friends and family. That's why the Health Secretary has met with, and will continue to meet with, relatives of residents in care homes. We will reply to the letter very soon, and the Health Secretary will again meet with the relatives group shortly. The Health Secretary has been clear that essential visits should continue to be supported at all stages of the pandemic, in all areas, no matter the current level. There is a need to balance the safety of residents against the need for them to spend time with their families. Ministers have been clear on the crucial importance of both these factors. In consultation with relatives and care home providers, we are now nearing completion on plans to resume indoor visiting based on the Level 4 restrictions in place across mainland Scotland. With increased staff testing, visitor testing and our vaccination programme, which has now given 99% of older care home residents their first dose. These plans will be published shortly. The coronavirus vaccine programme is a relief for anyone with older loved ones. An article by Katrina Stewart, columnist, published in the Glasgow Times of the Tuesday the 9th of February 2021. When it came, the envelope was not blue. It was one of your ordinary prosaic white ones. An ordinary prosaic envelope carrying some incredible life-altering news. An appointment for the coronavirus vaccine. When the first lockdown hit last year, life altered for us all in unforeseen ways. Inequalities were widened, vulnerabilities became heightened. Those of us who were privileged to were able to keep ourselves safe by staying largely at home to carry on working and continue a social life online. For others, there developed a much greater reliance on social networks for support, whether due to age or additional health needs. I recognise my good fortune throughout the pandemic. I haven't had a huge deal to worry about. I miss travel, I miss my friends, I've watched far too much Netflix, but the main concern has been the shifting and reshaping of my relationship with my mum. From being independent and capable, suddenly I was taking on a caring role. Her age meant she had to stay at home, so I took on all shopping duties, collecting medicines, a chauffeur to medical appointments, making phone calls for things she would normally do in person. Worse, I became a nag. No, you can't just pop out for milk. No, a trip to the post office is not essential. No, I can't come inside. No, you can't visit your sister. No, you can't have a hug. No, no, no. For age and no other reason, the world shrank to a house and garden. All physical human contact ended. And so the worst of the pandemic was the unnatural acceleration of the shift in mother-daughter roles. I'm in charge now, the boss. Nothing happens without my say-so. I hate it. So the news of the vaccination when it appeared on the wires was extraordinary, but still abstract. Exciting, but still far off. 
And then the envelope came with a date and a time. No longer abstract, but a real event. Life-changing. I wrote the time under February the 6th in my diary and had a little cry. So on Saturday off we went to the inauspicious surroundings of a Coatbridge Leisure Centre. When the time capsule first opened in 1991, I won a competition to be the first child to avail themselves of its water and ice glories. Here we are, exactly 30 years later, during a pandemic and in the gym hall for a life-altering vaccine. It's organised and efficient and everyone is friendly. I don't cope well with needles, blood, needles, anything piercing or fluid. They're talking about kidney donation on Radio 4 on my drive out to Coatbridge and I have to switch it off because it's making me feel a bit limp. The nurse plunged her needle into the ampoule discreetly, under the table, away from Ma Stewart's eyes. My mum has told me to look away when the deed's being done, but I don't. I keep my eyes firmly trained on that silver dart of promised future. I want to see it for myself. The other day on Radio 4, I'm a creature of habit, There was an interview with the only way is Essex reality TV star, Bobby Norris. He was talking about training to be a volunteer vaccinator. I love pitching in. I started to think I might find out how to become a volunteer vaccinator and sign myself up. Now I've seen what's involved, I'll probably leave it. Ma Stewart does not flinch. Just before the injection, she asked the nurse what will change now she's had her first shot. Nothing yet, it's still some time till freedom. Ma Stewart leans forward almost imperceptibly and lowers her voice. I'm trying to shake off my minder, she says, with a slight nod towards me. Thank you so much, I'm gushing at the nurse. This was brilliant, so easy, so well organised, it's amazing. A miracle, really. Imagine a vaccine in less than a year. The poor woman has had enough of the Stuarts, I can tell. So we head off. That's it. All done. Existing in the pandemic is like grieving. You move forward, repeating familiar rituals accustomed to your altered reality. But every so often, often for no reason at all, you pull up short. For me... Sitting in court one day, intently notating the deputy fiscal's narrative and becoming transfixed by how prosaic masks have become. Watching the Super Bowl halftime show and noticing the dancers' careful spacing. Realising the cue for Marks and Spencer is normal. God, I was envious of those Super Bowl halftime dancers flinging out energy on that vast pitch. To dance again with people, won't that be heaven? When the big things are cancelled, one must look for joy in the little things. I've been finding mine in walks in the park and new flavours of ice cream. I realise now that none of it was joy. This is joy. There is joy in this Sheer, sweeping relief. There is a vaccine and its magic science is working in my mum, schooling her immune system, making her safer.
and before long, a hug. What a smoosh that will be after this petrified wait. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 10th of February 2021, from the news section, Glasgow Ice Cream War, the firebomb attack on the Doyle family, by Norman Sylvester, freelance contributor. The deaths of six members of one family in 1984 following a firebomb attack on their Glasgow home shocked Scotland. 37 years later, there still remains considerable doubts over who was responsible for the city's biggest ever mass murder. The Doyles were innocent victims of a violent turf war involving organised crime figures, seeking to control the lucrative ice cream van trade operating in the city's sprawling housing schemes. Because of a shortage of late opening shops, the vans could legitimately make £200 profit a week. £700 now. Selling food, soft drinks, sweets and cigarettes on top of the traditional cones and wafers. However, for the more unscrupulous, they also provided a means for selling stolen goods and even drugs like heroin. In what became known as the Glasgow Ice Cream Wars, legitimate drivers were subjected to nightly attacks with baseball bats, knives and eventually shotguns by major criminals who wanted to take over their routes. On one occasion, an undercover police team using a borrowed ice cream van were ambushed in Balgat Dragon Road, Easter House, by two masked thugs with batons, who they then arrested. When 18-year-old Andrew Doyle refused to bow to intimidation, he and his family were targeted with horrific consequences. One evening, in late February 1984, shots had been fired through the windscreen of Andrew's ice cream van in Balvenie Street, Garthamlock, while he was working with his 15-year-old girl assistant. Unlike those who ordered the attacks, Andrew and his family were known to be hard-working and law-abiding. Seven weeks later, a mystery man armed with a petrol can mounted the stairs to the family's top four flat in Banghen Street, Rukese, and set fire to an outside store cupboard at 2am. Within minutes, the early morning blaze swept through the family home and of the nine people sleeping inside, only three survived. The tragic victims were Andrew, his father James Doyle, 53, sister Christina Halloran, 25, her 18-month-year-old son Mark and two brothers, James, 23, and 14-year-old Tony. Mum Lillian Doyle, 51, was rescued by firefighters, and another son, Stephen, 22, jumped 40 feet to safety but broke his left leg. A fourth brother, Daniel, 28, also survived. There was massive public outrage at the six deaths and demands for swift justice. Understandably, Strathclyde Police now Police Scotland, were under extreme pressure to find those responsible for the April 16 attack. In the following months, detectives arrested seven people for serious acts of violence against ice cream van owners, including the gun attack in Andrew's van. Four were charged with the murders of the Doyle family. At the High Court in Glasgow later that year, Thomas T.C. Campbell, 31, and Associate Joe Steele, 22, were found guilty of killing the Doyles. Both were given life with Campbell told they must serve at least 20 years until he could apply for parole. 
What followed was a battle by two convicted men to clear their names, spanning three decades, that proved to be one of the most controversial in Scottish legal history. Campbell staged a series of high-profile hunger strikes and refused to have his hair cut to publicise the case. Steele escaped three times from prison custody and, on one occasion, superglued himself to the railings at Buckingham Palace. The prosecution case against Campbell and Steele had rested on three key pieces of evidence. Their main witness, William Love, said he had overheard Campbell, Steele and others in a bar discussing how they would teach Andrew Doyle a lesson by setting fire to his house. The police claimed that Campbell had told four officers during his arrest, I only wanted the van shot up. The fire was only meant to be a frightener which went too far. The police also claimed that a Glasgow street map with a Doyle flat marked with an X was found in his home. According to prosecutors, Campbell was a major organised crime figure in the east end of Glasgow, prepared to go to any lengths to profit from the ice cream van trade and put his rivals out of business. After their conviction, both he and Steele claimed that Love had lied and the police had fabricated evidence. A first appeal was turned down in 1985 and a second one failed in 1989. However, in a book on the ice cream van wars in 1992, Love admitted lying under oath and later gave a signed statement to that effect. In 1997, the then Secretary of State for Scotland, Michael Forsyth, referred the convictions back to the Appeal Court in Edinburgh and both Campbell and Steele were freed pending its outcome. The appeal was thrown out the following February and both men returned to prison. A second petition was presented to the new Scottish Secretary Donald Dewar in December 1998, but that was refused. Campbell and Steele then took their case to the newly created Scottish Criminal Cases Review Commission in July 2000, who decided that the case should be referred back to the Appeal Court. Pending the outcome of this latest appeal, Campbell and Steele were set free for a second time in December 2001. Three years later, in March 2004, three appeal judges finally quashed the convictions as a result of hearing new evidence. Campbell was later awarded £1.2 million over the miscarriage of justice and died aged 66 in 2019 at his home in Dunoon, Argyll, from natural causes. Steele, who lives in Gathamlock, was awarded £750,000. No one apart from Campbell and Steele has ever been convicted for the murders of the Doyle family. So who was responsible for the six deaths? In 2010, it was reported that one of the seven original accused, Gary Moore, had confessed to setting the Doyle's house on a fire before he died. Moore had stood trial with Campbell and Steele on the murder charge, but was cleared due to insufficient evidence. It has also been claimed that Glasgow crime boss Tam, the licensee McGraw, was responsible for ordering the hit in the Doyle flat. He died of a heart attack at his luxury home in Mount Vernon in 2007. Retired detective Les Truman was part of a five-man team based at Easterhouse Police Station who investigated the various effects on ice cream vans and their owners, including Andrew. During that period, the detective constable got to know the powerfully built teenager well. Les was one of the first police officers at the scene of the fire and helped a badly burned Andrew in an ambulance. He said, 
I was in back shift that night with another colleague and we heard a call come in that there had been a fire at the Doyle house. When we got there they were bringing out Andy who was in his underwear and he was badly burned. He said to me, Les you know who's done this, you need to get them. But at that stage I just wanted to get Andy into an ambulance. He was going to tell me everything but of course he never survived. His burns were so bad that his condition deteriorated once he got to hospital and they could not save him. Andrew died four days after being admitted and he was never well enough to be interviewed and tell detectives what he knew. Les added, When we heard about the fire in Bankian Street, we knew whose house it had been before we had even arrived. Andrew was a big man who could handle himself, but he wasn't ready for guns and firebombs. When we started looking into the threats against him, we didn't think for a minute that someone was going to torch his house and murder him and his family. Les retired from police in 2000 after 28 years and is now a private investigator. He says the people who carried out the arson attack would have been different from the people who ordered it. But he doesn't believe that either intended for anyone to die that night. Les added, Whoever ordered the attack would have been tucked up in bed that night. It was meant as a warning to Andrew Doyle, a frightening if you like, but it was a frightening which went badly wrong. Les said this is also important to remember that the real victims of the fire were the Doyle family. He added, Everyone knows the names Campbell and Steele, but we must never forget that six innocent people who died that night, and that piece was by Norman Sylvester, freelance contributor. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday, the 10th of February, 2021, from the news section, Glasgow weather, Snow and ice warning still in place, with more disruption expected. By Lauren Brownlee, reporter. A yellow weather warning will stay in place today, following heavy snowfall across the city. The Met Office predict frequent snow showers and ice, and have issued the warning until midnight. Disruption is expected throughout today, with some bus routes already cancelled. People using public transport are asked to check for updates before travelling. Motorists are being advised to avoid driving if the journey is not essential. Yesterday, Glasgow City Council closed recycling centres due to the bad weather, but the local authority has announced that the centres will be open as normal today. And that article is by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Date Wednesday the 10th of February 2021, from the news section, Officers find £20,000 cannabis cultivation in Newton Mairn's home. By Lauren Brownlee. A cannabis cultivation has allegedly been found in Newton Mairn's home. Police recovered the cultivation, estimated to have a street value of around £20,000, from a flat in the town. East Renfrewshire Police said officers have recovered a cannabis cultivation from a flat in Newton Mearns. Early estimates indicate a street value of over £20,000. Cultivations pose a, a significant risk of fire and injury. Police reports suspected cultivations on 101 or anonymously to Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111.
And that article is by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 10th of February 2021, from the news section, Running battle in Glasgow Nisa shop results in man being hit by bottle. This piece is an exclusive by Connor Gordon, court reporter. A teenage thug who threw a bottle at a man in a brawl at a convenience store has been sentenced to 11 months in a child support unit. The 17-year-old assaulted Dylan Burlingham at a Nisa store in Glasgow's Denison on October the 13th last year. Glasgow Sheriff Court heard the boy and other youths were initially gathered outside the shop on its Alexander Parade. CCTV showed a fight between the eight boys erupted in front of young children. Prosecutor John Bedford said, The accused engaged in a running battle through the store and engaged in a fight. Weapons were brandished including bricks, bottles, a baseball bat and a knife which were thrown at others. The accused threw a bottle and then he made his way out of the shop. He was later chased and arrested by police. The court was told that the boy was found with a knife on a separate occasion after being at a Chinese takeaway in the city's Toll Cross. A customer wrote, Guy at door has blade phoned the police and paper and passed it to a member of staff. The boy was found with 14 small bags of heroin by police on another occasion in October. Mr Bedford added, In his pocket was a green tub. Inside that was a Kinder Egg container with the heroin. The boy pled guilty to the assault and various crimes, including the assault on Mr Burlingham, to his injury and the unlawful possession of a knife. Sheriff Martin Jones QC said, These offences are very serious and some are more serious than others. You should understand these sentences are considerably lower than what would have been imposed if you were an adult. The drugs offence, as an adult, you would have been serving three years. If you continue to offend, you will be sent to Polmont and will be more of a wake-up call for you. And that article is an exclusive by Connor Gordon. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 10th of February 2021, from the news section, Tributes to brilliant Glasgow Uni scientist. Exclusive by Maxine MacArthur, senior reporter. See me more. Those were the last words Hector Diaz uttered to his doting wife, Morvin, as he was rushed to hospital in Mexico. His organs were failing and the 34-year-old schoolteacher was begging her husband not to leave. The brilliant scientist had returned to his home country after working at the University of Glasgow studying flesh-eating diseases. In late January, he was struck down with coronavirus symptoms, but multiple negative tests left doctors befuddled. At 5.30am on February the 6th, just days after the conversation in the ambulance, Morvan held Hector's hand as he took his last breath. He was 43 years old. On January the 5th, we were on the beach with a buck's fist, hosting to eight years of marriage, Morvin from Paisley said. Just a month and a day later, he was dead. That's unbelievable to me. 
The pair had met 11 years prior in May 2010 when Morvin was studying in Liverpool. She was dancing at a bar and spotted the tall, dark-haired Hector when the music stopped. He was shouting bravo and begging for another song. It was love at first sight. She said, I just thought, who is this guy? I was all over it. I speak Spanish too, so I walked over and he couldn't, just couldn't believe I was Scottish. I had learned Spanish during a year in Peru, where I worked at an orphanage, and he was really impressed with my accent. Hector followed Morvan home and soon began work at the West End University's Welcome Centre for Integrative Parasitology, where he carried out research into parasitic disease, leishmaniasis. The illness is carried by sandflies and eats away at the flesh of its victims. It's classed as a neglected tropical disease due to the lack of academic studies surrounding it since it was uncovered by a Glaswegian doctor in 1901. He was so clever and so passionate about what he does and people were just fascinated by it, Morvan said. He was such a good orator too. You know sometimes you can get people who are really smart but dead boring? He wasn't like that. He was very good looking, very charming, very fun. I fell in love right away. The pair wed in the Glasgow Art Club with a Mexican-Scottish mashup, including a piper and a mariachi band. They continued to blur the two cultures with Mayan ceremonial aspects, which included exchanging the four elements. Morvan admits their wedding ceremony was way too long because of how much they enjoyed sharing their vows and teasing each other with Morvan demanding Hector and his best man perform an impromptu dance and Mexican flute flute rendition before she would accept the final element. Of course, he obliged, much to his best man's dismay. After enjoying life in Glasgow, Hector received an offer of a permanent position researching the leishmaniasis disease in his home country. It was like striking gold, Morvan explains. She had followed him to Rio de Janeiro for his research years prior and, in 2017, she followed him home to Mexico. He's my soulmate. I'd follow him anywhere, she said. Just weeks ago, the pair developed a bad cold, which left them unable to do much other than work and eat. Morgan began to feel better after a few days, but Hector began to experience further symptoms. When he began str- struggling to breathe, she rushed him to hospital, where doctors initially dismissed it as a panic attack. The following day, Morvan attended a third hospital who confirmed it was acute pancreatitis. Hector's body had stopped producing insulin and his glucose levels were similar to that of a diabetic coma, despite not having diabetes. He was in desperate need of intensive care. There's no NHS, so you have to phone around all these hospitals to find one that will take his insurance and has space, she said. Eventually we got one, and then we had to arrange our own ambulance. I was just begging him not to leave me and he was saying, see me more. When they arrived at the hospital, doctors realised the situation was much worse than they had thought and he was placed in a coma while Morphin fought with unyielding insurance firms. That's when her friends in Scotland stepped in. Good pal Alex Bowie rallied behind the couple with a GoFundMe page to help them cover expenses. 
The fun-loving scientist's popularity was realised when donations shot up to almost £60,000 in just days. Sadly, Hector's condition worsened and a massive brain bleed saw Morvan and his family make the heartbreaking decision to terminate his life support. She said, Everyone loves him. He's just a great, great guy. He found commonality with everyone. We'd get a taxi and he'd say, alright mate, in this Glaswegian accent. I really don't know how to be without him. And that article was an exclusive by Maxine MacArthur. And that was this week's Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.